Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I thought it's Labor Day weekend. I knew of several families that were going to be gone today, and so I'm pleasantly surprised to see how many of you are here. I thought everybody was on vacation. So I better come up with a sermon really quick. Well, to start with, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing over this next few months. Um, not next week, but the week after that, we're starting a series called The Story. Uh, as we've been talking about, the story is going to be uh, a focus on really all of Scripture. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to go all the way to Revelation over a period of several months. And the idea is, you know, with Hebrews, we, we've been kind of walking through the forest looking at all the, 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 fa- flana, the, flana, the fa- fauna, fauna and flora. Boy, what is the words there? Uh, vocabulary is tough today. So we're, we've been looking at all the details of, of Hebrews, and we were in Hebrews for several months looking at um, uh, really an in-depth look at, at uh, one of the most difficult and deep books of the New Testament. With the story, we're, we're going to be taking a helicopter ride over the next few months, and rather than, being taking, rather than taking all those paths through the forest and examining the trees and the leaves and, and all the wildlife, uh, we're going to be in the helicopter, we're going to be overlooking the entire forest. The objective is that we're going to be able to take a look at the entirety of Scripture and, and see how God has put the whole thing together from beginning to end. How does God's story meet man's story? And, and then me as an individual, you as an individual, how does my story interact with that? And so this series is intended not to be an in-depth look at a book like Hebrews, but um, uh, really a, an introduction to how the Bible fits all together. And so this is a great opportunity if you have some neighbors that are looking for a church, if you have family members that, that would like to know more about the Bible, maybe they've never read the Bible before, this would be a great opportunity uh, for them to be introduced to some of the, uh, what, what we believe in, uh, in the Scripture, and, and how it's put together. And I know oftentimes when we read the Bible, you know, we come to passages where there's these genealogies that names are, are 20 syllables long, and, uh, and we have... Uh, uh, some ancient customs and, and ancient cultures that, that are so far removed for us that sometimes we just don't have a context for understanding a lot of that. And so our objective is going to be trying to go through that central theme, those central themes, that central line that goes all the way through Scripture to help us get a, a, an overall structure for how that's put together. And so there's going to be a few things that we're going to be doing. First of all, we are going to have, going to have a sermon series in which we'll be uh, here each morning, obviously. And um, I want to clarify something with that. Uh, a couple of you have asked me, you know, are, are we going to still be in the Bible? Uh, and, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, this, is, this is not a, a curriculum. We're not going to be doing some book study that, you know, uh, we're going to be reading from a book every day and reflecting on the thoughts of some other people. Uh, we'll be going through Scripture, and so we're going to be taking selected parts of Scripture over those, those several months. And, uh, but we will still be in the Scripture together because God's words are word of, words of life. And um, we need to be there. Um, In conjunction with that, we are going to be having our small groups. Uh, some of our small groups have some other studies that are going to deal with some of the specific books, uh, as well as our Sunday school classes, which are going to deal with specific books of the Bible. Uh, three of our small groups are going to be dealing with the story, and we're going to be going through a small book uh, study together. Uh, excuse me, a small book, a study guide on the story together. Um, and so this is not going to be the same thing as the sermons that you have every week. And so don't think, well, I can go to small groups or I can go to church, one or the other, because it's the same thing anyway. And so when we're going through the life of Abraham, 
Uh, we'll be doing a survey of the life of Abraham, but in your small groups, you're going to be looking at some more of the details and some of the specifics of his life, and you're going to be actually getting into some of those passages yourself and, and examining some of those things. And so if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you to consider being a part of one of those. Those are starting up here this next couple weeks. Uh, in your bulletins, you also find a couple other things. Uh, there's a card that you can pass out to your neighbors. There's several of these up on the table upstairs as well. And so if you'd like to invite somebody and give them times, places, uh, this isn't a good way to do that. But also you'll find in your, in your bulletin, uh, there's a scripture reading program. As we're going through the story, uh, I would encourage you that if you've never read through the Bible, this would be a great opportunity that as we're going through small groups, as we're going through this series in, in our sermon uh, material, that it'd be a great opportunity for you to also read along with us. Read ahead so that you're you're ready for Sunday morning. You're ready for your small groups, and you're very familiar with those passages. And so there's two tracks that we're presenting to you. Uh, one track on the, um, the front side uh, is our central themes track. Some of you are going, wow, the whole Bible in, in seven months. That's, that's a lot. I've never read through the Bible before, or I'm a slow reader, or you know, there's a variety of different reasons, and you want, maybe just want to try something a little bit more right down this, the central themes of Scripture first. And so... That uh, central themes track is going to be for those that would just like to take uh, the main passages. You won't be reading all the genealogies and all of Leviticus. Uh, those are important passages, but we're going to be reading those central themes. And then on the, the back side, we also have our whole Bible track. If, you'd like to, if you're here and you're going, yeah, I think I can do that. Seven months, I, I'd like to read the whole Bible. I can do a novel in, in one, so why not read the Bible, which is just as long as most of the novels we, we read. Uh, in seven months. And so this is going to be a chronological reading program that you can be reading along with us. And so this starts next Sunday, September the 11th, so that when you've gotten through September, through September 17th, when we come to church and start the series on the 18th, you'll have already read those 17 chapters that are going to deal with the material that we're going to be talking about that Sunday morning. So I just want to present some of those things for you. Um, the idea here is we, we want to be helping each one of us to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so these are some of the ways that we'll be doing that as we do this program together. I invite you to join us in that journey. Well, with that, um, let's turn to God's Word. This morning we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Last week we looked at a psalm that dealt with God's provision in a time of, of a, an attack from an ancient king that, that invaded Jerusalem and how God provided during those times in a psalm that was written to praise our God. This morning we look at a proverb which deals with um, the preparation that we make and how God brings true success. If you would join me, let's turn to our God in prayer before we turn to His Word. Lord God, we, we love You. We adore You. We thank You for this book that, that You've brought about through many men who wrote them down long ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Words that are ancient, words that sometimes um, need some explaining because the context is, is very old to us, but Lord, words that are just as relevant for today um, as they were the day that they were written. These words in this book are, are words of life, and, and we come to you because you are the one who has truth, and, and there's nowhere else nowhere else that we can go. And so we come to you this morning asking that you would give us wisdom from this book of Proverbs. We pray that you would transform our lives and that you would take the words that you have here to make us more like Jesus as we follow the wisdom that you've given to us. Please teach us now, we pray. Amen. 
Well, it was a Sunday school lesson that would change the lives of my students forever. From, the point, from this point forward, they were going to know how to share the gospel with clarity and passion. My students were going to walk out of that classroom absolutely transformed. And not, my pride didn't quite go to that extent. It wasn't quite to that, that, that much. In, in, all in, in all seriousness, though, it was, it was a very well-prepared lesson. The material was familiar territory for me, which I had taught before. The students normally were eager to learn and obey, and, and the lesson plan was thought out and well-prepared. I was looking forward to this Sunday school lesson and looking forward to what God was going to do through it. However, as I prepared, as prepared as I was, the week grew busy. Uh, the demands of life and the cares of this world choked out the time that I, I spent in prayer as a communicator of God's truth. I failed to spend time before the throne of God whose message I was so ready to teach. Little or no time was devoted to pleading for clarity in my speech. Little or no time was committed to interceding for the students that God had entrusted to my care that Sunday. Little or no time was dedicated pleading for the Holy Spirit to enable me to faithfully teach the text I had been called to proclaim as His steward. And so rather than a lesson for my students about effective evangelism, this would be a lesson to me about overconfidence in my own preparation. As preachers and teachers, pastors have a, a need to, to faithfully communicate the living Word of God to an audience that's crying out for truth and yearning for genuine transformation. But on this particular occasion, my confidence was humbled after a grueling 14-hour day working at the restaurant. Sleep eluded me till 3 a.m., at 8 o'clock, my family proceeded to church where I would join them during the second service. But the lesson that was prepared so well had to be delayed for another week. It was about 11.45 that I heard my wife's voice and she gently shook me and expressed, Dear, you, um, you missed church today. You had two new students, but you slept in. I learned a humbling lesson about putting too much confidence in my own strength, and my own labors. A humbling lesson about putting too much confidence in my own abilities and my own preparation. My friends, the Scripture calls you to rest your confidence in the Lord who determines the outcome of your labor. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, which we're going to be in today, the wise King Solomon, he instructs us. And he gives us these words. And they're written in an ancient context, but again, they're just as relevant, just as vital for you and I today. He says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to Yahweh, to the Lord. The verse addresses the problem of, of overconfidence in our own preparation, and it reveals that our best planning and our best preparation does not necessarily mean that we will meet success. We, we will see that the source of true success from this passage is the Lord Himself, and then we're going to examine some ways in which this instruction can be applied to our own lives in ministry. So first, notice, notice um, that the man's most adequate preparation, it does not guarantee triumph. In the book of Proverbs, verses 30 and 31 provide a framework for the, the sayings of the entire chapter. This, this whole chapter has a lot of proverbs and saying and, and wise truths uh, that, that uh, these two verses really lay a foundation for. 
In verse 30, he says this, There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. The, the proverb expresses an abstract principle regarding the importance of, of human dependence upon God in every area of our lives. In our marriage, in our ministry, our salvation, our growth in Christ. Even in man's implementation of wisdom. In the context of Proverbs, which is an entire book about wisdom, uh, it's critical. Uh, German theologian Gerhard von Rad, he summarized the statements of these verses in this way. He said, its aim is to put a stop to the erroneous concept that a guarantee of success was to be found simply in practicing human wisdom and in making preparations. Man must always keep himself open to the activity of God, an activity which completely escapes all calculation. For between the putting into practice and the, of the most re- reliable wisdom and that which then actually takes place, there always lies a great unknown. So verse 31 then provides a concrete example uh, of this principle from the vocabulary of, of the ancient world, from the vocabulary of war. Solomon writes, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. You see, in, in the ancient world, uh, the war horse, it wasn't just, it wasn't, horses weren't just something you, you read, rode for pleasure. They weren't just something that you, know, you wanted to go out on a, a ride for the day. Uh, it wasn't just something for the, uh, the rich or for the farmers that, that needed them for the fields. The, the horse, uh, the war horse specifically, was an advantage in times of battle. It provided speed, agility, endurance. It was the equivalent of today's tanks or air force. Uh, the horse was a weapon that provided a definitive edge over the opponent. But it, but it wasn't a random tool. The horse required preparation, which, which required breeding, the building of stables, the fitting of bridles and bits, and most importantly, the building of chariots, and then the training of those riders. However, the ancient accumulation of horses had been warned by Moses. In, in Deuteronomy, he had written a law for the king, specifically for the kings of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 17.16, he forbid the king from multiplying horses for himself. You see, the king was to, his trust wasn't to be in the horses, wasn't to be in the chariots, but his trust was to be in Yahweh, his God, rather than the strength of arms. And so it was for this reason, when David, he captured uh, the horsemen and the chariots' horses, uh, from his opponents, his opponents, he hamstrung the horses so as not to violate this command, so as not to multiply horses for himself and to start putting his trust somewhere that it shouldn't be. It was Solomon who gathered thousands of war horses and stationed them in his chariot cities. Overconfidence in human preparation, as it was for Solomon, as it is for this day, see, overconfidence in human preparation creates a separation between God and man. A separation that pushes God further away and it drives out our faith and our humility. And so Bruce Waltke, he made this observation. He said this, the secular capability of the war horse, it threatened Israel's faith in the Lord and it drew heavy theological criticism. Micah equates trust in military hardware with idolatry and witchcraft. The proverb was part and parcel of the king's godly guidance before battle. And so for Israel... The multiplication of war horses was a symbol of overconfidence and pride. For Solomon, the preparation of the horse was a symbol of, of readiness for the future. It should be noted at this point that when it came to battle, uh, there were different levels of preparation. 
even as there were different levels of confidence before the battle. Much in the same way, there are different levels of preparation in the conflicts that you and I are going to face. As you go to work, as you prepare for your new job, as you prepare for the job that you've been working at for 30 years, as you, as you go to your family and, and you uh, prepare for how you're going to lead your family and how you're going to lead your children and how you're going to walk in a way that would honor God, there are different levels of confidence before we go into these battles, into these endeavors. Much in the same way, there's these different levels of, 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 of preparation in the conflicts that we face as well as in the circumstances of life and ministry. And sometimes you find yourself well prepared for life's challenges. You look at it and you go, I couldn't be more ready for, for what I have ahead of me. And it's a good thing. After all, this is the book of Proverbs. It's a book for living in accordance with God's plan and walking wisely in life. I remember when our family moved here from Texas back in 2013. Uh, when our family returned after accepting the call here, we, were, we decided to sell our house right away. Uh, we completed our preparations for that sale, and, and the house went on the market that week, and on the morning of the fourth day, we had a contract. Uh, it was amazing. It was incredible. We, we, we looked at it and went, wow, wow, God is in this. And, and so our preparations looked like they were all working out. We gave proper credit to our God. We pointed to, to answers to our prayers. We planned. We prepared. We waited as the Lord worked. Uh, however, almost two weeks later, uh, the young couple who was buying our house uh, got cold feet. They, they panicked a little bit, and they backed out of the contract. It was, it was a little bit discouraging, and uh, we continued to wait for another buyer, but we have to remember that, that God never stops answering our prayers. And in God's timing and in His purposes, He arranges what is best for His glory and for our good. He brings about the success and He does it in a manner that will accomplish the victory that He sees fit. Whether that's using our preparations or maybe going beyond them. And I believe that this victory in life, again, whatever area of our lives this might be in, I believe that this victory has less to do with the details of our work, the details of your labor, and much more to do with the work that He is completing in the lives of people. Life does not always go according to our plans, does it? You ever have something that just gets shaken up? You have everything ready to go and you think, oh, this is going to be... And, and then everything turns upside down. Life just seems to go a completely different way than you expected. It doesn't always go according to our plans. Even though we make preparations and, and, and we make the appropriate plans, we may be confident as we proceed forth with our preparation, but God is doing a work that is greater than any one of us can do. And He sees beyond our human, limited human perspective. And just because life does not proceed as we expect, it does not mean that God has stopped, in, stopped in, to bring about His victory. Sometimes, you find that your greatest strengths never prepare you enough for the tasks that you're about to face. Life will always be filled with challenges, some of which are beyond our human abilities. However, sometimes you find your opponent, though, is the one with the horse. Your opponent is the one that's prepared. Overconfident or overanxious, no amount of human preparation is an absolute guarantee for, successful, for a successful life. In the world that we live in, 
We are prudent to ready ourselves for the future, and we should make plans, prepare for difficult times, live for more than just today. Nevertheless, no amount of human preparation is a guarantee for success in life and ministry. Uh, but there's hope. And, and that's the second part of the verse. The second part of verse 31, the Lord Himself is the source of our ultimate success. And the proverb continues, he says, but victory belongs to the Lord. And this truth has two corollaries. You see, first, the Lord may grant success to whomever He desires. Those that are best prepared may be granted success. And this follows common sense, and it's naturally reasonable as a general rule of life and ministry. However, the best prepared may also be hurled down. History is full of examples of mighty men who fell at the height of their power. We all know the story of David and Goliath where a young shepherd went out to the battlefield and he was armed with what? A few stones and a sling. In Judges chapter 4, we find the story of the Israelites being oppressed by the Canaanites and the commander of their army, Sisera. For 20 years, we're told, they were oppressed cruelly with an army that had 900 iron chariots stacked against them. Talk about this proverb in action. The horse is prepared for battle. But victory belongs to the Lord. You see, when they cried out for help, the Lord determined the battle not with the great Israelite army of 10,000 men that had risen up or the strength of its commanders, but ultimately, the battle came down to the hand of a foreign woman who came out of her tent and had a tent peg in her hand. When Jesus fed the 5,000, there was a little boy who had lunch of five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And it was that little boy and that lunch that Jesus used to supply a meal for everyone who had come to hear Him teach. The Lord has given us example after example after example of those whom He used for His glory. Not because they were the strongest or the most well-prepared, but because the Lord grants success to whomever He desires. The second corollary is that the Lord calls His people to trust Him. In the day of distress, our God is the God who delivers. He delivers when He is called upon. Proverbs echoes the cry of Psalm 20, which says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Yahweh. There's an old story about a missionary who served on the island of what is now the Republic of, uh, um, I can't, I'm going to try to pronounce this, uh, Vanuatu? Did I get that right? Does anybody know? Anybody been there? It's out near, uh, way, uh, way east of Australia, out in the middle of the ocean. This missionary had been called there, and from his boyhood, John Patton wanted to be a missionary. Before studying theology and medicine, Patton served for 10 years as a Glasgow City missionary. After graduation, he was ordained and he set sail for what was then called New Hebrides as a Presbyterian missionary. Three months after arriving on the island of Tana, uh, Patton's young wife died, followed by their five-week-old son. For three more years, Patton labored alone among the hostile islanders, ignoring their threats, seeking to make Christ known to them, before escaping barely with his life. Later he returned, and he spent 15 years on another island. 
Patton was working one day in his home on the translation of John's Gospel. And puzzling over John's favorite expression, pistueis, to, to believe in or to trust in, Jesus Christ, to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ, uh, it was a phrase that occurred first in John chapter 1, verse 12. And he was translating the book of John to their native language. And, and he asked himself, how can I translate this? The islanders were cannibals. Nobody trusted anybody else. And in their culture, there was no word for trust. And so his native servant came in. And he says, what am I doing? Patton asked him. Sitting at your desk, the man replied. Patton then raised both feet off the floor and he sat back on his chair. What am I doing now? In reply, Patton's servant used a verb which means to, to lean your whole weight upon. And that's the phrase that Patton used throughout John's Gospel as he translated it into their native language for any time the word to believe in was used. And so when he was, we were called to believe in Jesus Christ, he used a word that meant to lean your whole weight on. My friends, the, the, the success or the failure of your eternal fate, heaven or hell, hinges on where you lean your whole weight. If, you trust in your, if your trust is in yourself, your deeds, your successes, your own victories, some act that you've performed for God, or, or maybe hoping that the balances are just going to be way in the right direction for you, then you have not believed in Jesus Christ. You have not put your whole weight on Him. But if you are leaning your whole weight upon what Jesus did on the cross, then you have already have victory over your sin and its penalty because your victory is in the Lord. And Christian, the success or the failure of your Christian walk, it also hinges on where you lean your whole weight. Somewhere we often make this disconnect in which we believe that Christ died for my sins. It is through Christ that I've received my salvation. I've put my whole weight on Jesus Christ for heaven and for the forgiveness of my sins. But when it comes to the day-to-day uh, -day routines of life, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, um, when it comes to the day-to-day -day routines of life and the service we find ourselves preparing for the day of battle, we, we find ourselves seeking the victory in our own strength as if the God who saved me from my sin is no longer needed to, to, to walk the Christian life. And so I live it by my own power and my own victories. Doing things my own way rather than living by the victory made available to us in the Holy Spirit. Christian, this is not what God's called us let me wrap this up into um, some ways that we can apply the wisdom of this proverb. Again, I, I exhort you, rest your confidence in the Lord who determines the outcome of your preparation. In, in the context of Proverbs, this means that you must continue to prepare diligently. Don't, don't go, oh great, God has it all. The Lord, the Lord is in control of it all. He's the one that gives victory. And so I don't need to prepare anything anymore. I can go ahead and just live life to the fullest and, and I don't have to prepare for work. I don't have to plan for how I'm going to lead my family. I don't have to prepare for ministry. That, that's not what the proverb is saying. We are called to walk wisely as believers. Be faithful men and women who handle accurately the word of truth. Be persistent in your pursuit of sharing the Gospel with the lost. 
as you raise your children, never abandon the high calling that God has placed you in. Prepare for the work that God has put in front of you. Resting our confidence in the Lord has never meant that you have the excuse to be spiritually lazy, right? It has never meant that we can abandon all of our effort and labor because the success depends on the Lord. If you abandon your call to love, to teach and discipline your children, then you are choosing to do the opposite of trusting the Lord because you are choosing to disregard the wisdom of God and the result will likely be unruly and spiritually lazy children. Resting our confidence in the Lord has never meant that you no longer have any duty to serve. God has never given you the freedom to abandon the spiritual gifts that He's given to you, that He's entrusted to you, Indeed, it's the Spirit who gives these gifts to us, to us all for the common good. But to trust that God will do His will and to complete His work so that, so that you may therefore abandon your brothers and sisters in, in Christ by hiding your gift in a hole? This is not trusting the Lord. It's unfaithfulness. And so we do need to prepare diligently. We do need to prepare diligently the work that God has put in front of you. However, in your preparation... Pray that the Lord would use what you have diligently prepared. Be praying men and women. Be praying specifically regarding the preparations that you make in life and for the planning that you make in ministry. Many of us are going to be involved in, a, in the Iwana ministry. Maybe you're involved in youth ministry. Other, Bible, other programs here in our church like True Singers. Some of you are involved in our, as our Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, song leaders. Don't ever neglect the extreme privilege that you have to come before God's almighty throne and to pray regarding the lessons, the music, the work that you have prepared and put together. When I was younger, I worked so hard at trying to save people. I would share the Gospel with them. I'd do everything I could to, to save people. Only to come to the realization later on that I can't save anyone. I, I can't do it. And the great comfort is I, I've never been called to save anybody. I'm called to, to tell the truth. I'm called to share the truth with people and, and to tell them about the great love of our Lord Jesus Christ who, who died on the cross for our sins. I, I'm called to preach the message, but there is no ability within me in which I can ever save anybody. And, and when that burden came off my shoulders, I can't tell you how that transformed my in my evangelism and sharing the gospel with people because the burden was no longer on me. It was on the Holy Spirit who's the one who does the saving. I am just a messenger. God's called me to share the message and to do my best to be an effective communicator of the gospel just as He's called you. But His Spirit is the one who saves people, not me, not you. I've been praying for the salvation of a friend of mine for a few years and... Uh, I've shared the Gospel several times in the course of our conversations. Over time, he, he's begun to understand the reality of sin and his need for a Savior. His eyes have been opened to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and that Christ died as a substitute in His place. And I can't begin to express to you the great joy in my heart that came when he articulated the message of the Gospel to me. He came to me and told me about what he had learned and what he believed. And I'm thinking in my head, We've been having this conversation for two years. <laughs> and he went somewhere else and he heard the same message from somebody else. 
And he responded to the gospel and, and he came and shared with me everything that he believed in and all that God had, was doing in his life. And I rejoiced at the great work that the Holy Spirit had done in him. See, all I did was plant the seeds and watered it with prayer. But God has begun to do a great work and he brought about the success. Parents, the, the art of raising children, it's a lifelong process of trying to gain a bearing on your surroundings to find a, a gasp of, of air when you can come up for a breath and then to take one more day I, i'm finding this doesn't stop when your children graduate from high school i've shared with you before i think parenting adult children is harder than anything else i've ever done no offense guys You see, when we're given the great responsibility of our children, most of us had little grasp of the great joy and the challenge that would be before us. But we prepare, we get ready, we plan, we seek that which is best for our children, and we train them in the way that they should go. But do not neglect your high calling to pray for your children, small or, or otherwise. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21:31 it presents us with a problem. You see man's most adequate preparation does not guarantee triumph. You and I are going through life and you're preparing for all kinds of things. You're preparing for retirement, you're preparing for ministry, you're preparing to raise your children, you're preparing to have a successful marriage. There's so many things in your life right now that you're trying to weigh and outbalance and juggle and you are preparing. But there's no guarantee for triumph. And the solution to this problem that's presented here is found in that the Lord Himself is the source of ultimate success. And therefore, as men and women of God, we are called to rest our confidence in the Lord who determines the outcome of your preparation. Do so specifically by praying for those that God has put in your path. Make the appropriate preparation. Put, but, but pray to your Lord who, who brings about the results. I shared with you the story of my overconfidence in my um, preparation for that Sunday school lesson that day. I had everything ready. It was going to be a great lesson. I was excited about it. I'd been studying. I'd actually been studying this very proverb that week. I'd been looking through this passage. And it was on that day that I slept in that Sunday morning. And I studied, as I studied this proverb alongside my preparation for the next week's Sunday school class, my task differently this time. You see, the next time... I took time to pray for my class and for my delivery and for the message that was going to be taught. And the beautiful thing is is that the class doubled in size in that one week. The audience which God had brought to that classroom, including those who were, it included those who were struggling the most with the issues that I had prepared. And they weren't there the week beforehand. As our class approached its conclusion, we all prayed together with tears because it was evident that the Holy Spirit was comforting believers that were discouraged and convicting believers who needed to take action. My friends, rest your confidence in our Lord by specifically praying for those who God has called you to serve and for the work that you have prepared that it might be used in the hands of our great God and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for we thank You for the book of Proverbs. We thank You for passages like this 
just wise sayings that seem to be random sometimes as we look at this book of Proverbs, but Lord, there's so much wisdom here. Wisdom for life, wisdom for living in a way that would honor You and glorify Your name. Wisdom for true success. Sometimes in ways that we don't expect it. Father, I pray that we would be people that would be prepared for the day of battle. That we would be prepared for the the tasks that You have put before us. Let us never be spiritually lazy. Let us not be people who just wing it and, and hope for the best. Hope that You'll do something in spite of our ill preparation. But Father, might we never put our confidence in, in our, own, our own labors, our own efforts. Might we trust in You who is the source of our strength and the source of true victory. As we celebrate communion this morning, I pray that, um, that You'd work in each one of our hearts, soften us, soften our hearts that we might walk in obedience with You. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. I'm going to ask